1: their essential love
2: of justice.
1: Hi, welcome to the
3: Kudzu Vine for August 12th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine
2: Smith. Greetings from Atlanta.
1: And
3: welcome Tim Shifflin.
1: Good evening, sir.
3: Oh, good to have y'all. And in about 20 minutes, it's going to be good to have uh, Jay uh, Jackson Dar from Red Racing Horses, our special guest. Jackson's been on at least two times, um, and he's going to come on again, and we're going to talk about some different national issues. Uh, but until then, we've got some things to talk about, and one of them is a national issue, but it's a national issue that the example of which is right here, where Tim and I both reside in Georgia's 14th congressional district. Um, It seems like this year there has been a rash of unqualified candidates, and this kind of goes across party lines. And this week there were multiple incidences of this, um, including in our own district uh, the Democratic nominee, um, Stephen Foster, got arrested for DUI, and on there he talked about how he hated America and different things. And then there was a lady out in Nevada posed with a a fake um, college diploma uh, We had another candidate that Dropped out of the race And then she uh, Has been arrested for murder um, We've had other guys uh, be indicted Or even come out of jail And decide that they want to run um, For election And it just seems like You know, used to people might look in the mirror And said, you know, maybe I'm not right To hold office, but I can still vote And what have you But now people somehow feel empowered to run irregardless of their bio um, or other things. Um, Catherine, I know I sent you all some of these stories during the week. Um, Do you see anything here? Is it just because it's more recent, it's kind of recency
2: bias for me? Well, I think we have to talk about what makes someone unqualified to run. You know, I think – you know we have laws we have you know regulations on the books about who can run and who can't and if they if they don't meet those qualifications they shouldn't be be qualified to run, so they shouldn't pass the qualifications that you know the you have to register you know submit documents to qualify to run if they don't meet those requirements, then they shouldn't be approved to run if 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 they're um if their behavior or uh, past acts are not uh, part of what makes them, un- it, it, if those things are not part of the qualifications, then you know how how do we decide what's unqualified? So, I might think someone that uh, you know, I might have a different uh, re- set of requirements for what someone would be qualified to be a candidate is uh, rather than you or someone else. So I think it's a little tricky to talk about qualifications. Instead of we should just talk about the quality of the candidates. And um, if we're concerned about that, like in the example in um, your congressional district, when that person qualified, someone should have said, whoa, this isn't good. Someone else should run as well, then have a primary and see who wins the primary. Um, well, that'' that's
3: part of it, and kind of thing. And, yeah, candidate recruitment. Um, usually, you want to recruit better candidates, and sometimes, you know, you you don't have many options. Even in this year in that district, there weren't many options. Uh, the person that thought they could, you know, somebody that thinks they can literally put up a fake diploma and a picture and get away with it. I know what you mean by qualifications, but we can use the word quality instead. I mean. That's just not a quality uh, candidate. I um, mean, it seems like in the past
2: well, we had more quality law, candidates.
3: Right? To, yeah, well, I mean, yes, it's a fraud lot. and stuff. It was, so is DUI. Uh, I mean, it, that he got arrested. I mean, he's been arrested well, for it. He's still got to stand trial. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, but this, I think, was while well, the lady was running the campaign in Nevada. I'm just trying to bring up more examples. Um, you know, because I remember there's – I remember congressional primaries where – you would see three and four candidates that, you know, you could have been, you know, content with. You might have favored one over the other. I mean, uh, just a few years ago in this very district, Buddy Con- uh, Buddy Darden ran against Roger Kahn. Um, we may have been happy with one- the one that won, but the one that lost, fine too. Uh, I mean, much better than uh, Stephen Foster. Um, Tim, what are your thoughts on just – we can of course start at home, but then there, it's more than just Georgia fourteen. It seems to be rampant
1: across the nation. Yeah, this sort of thing starts at the top. We 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 shouldn't forget that. Uh, I mean, look who's in the White House. The the what anybody can get elected mentality is just per, pervasive now. I guess people think, hey, just run, I might win, and and they don't uh, stop to think it. If they're qualified for the office or not They think if they win Well then that makes them qualified for the office And hey if they have skeletons in the closet What does that matter? Doesn't everybody But like you mentioned Stephen Foster In in this uh, uh, district here I think the Democratic Party of Georgia At the time he qualified Was just glad to get anybody on the ballot up here uh, it didn't matter who it was, of course he wasn't vetted or 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 anything else. he just ran uh, and uh, I heard the guy speak, and I thought he was a weirdo when I heard him. Then I found out he's a nudist uh then I found out that about all these d u i arrests, you're to see the video if you haven't of his d u i arrest. I mean, the man just rambles incoherently talking about how he hates his county and God's going to do this and that and the other. And, and it's just absolutely pitiful. You mentioned the lady, uh, she's actually in Florida, running now for the State House. Uh, holding up a fake diploma from Miami of Ohio. Well, Miami of Ohio's attorney uh viewed that picture and said that's that's not one of our diplomas and it turns out she not only lied but had a picture to prove it. Oh well that's terrific. Let's don't forget Arthur Jones. Y'all remember him? Up in Illinois three? He's a Nazi yes. He's a former head of the Nazi party. And he and he, you know, celebrates that fact and he, and he's running for Congress. Uh North Carolina. Look at Chris Collins. Look at look at people already in, in Congress, guys. Look at what Chris Collins has done. Uh um I mean I mean, he actually was videoed breaking the law on the grounds of the White House. You know, making a call, conducting insider trading on the grounds of the White House a few feet from the upper members of the administration uh, How about the lady over in Georgia 10, now she did drop out of the race she, What she say, personal reasons guys Yeah, <laughs> charged with murder that, That's a pretty good personal reason No, there seems to be a lot more of this than they're used to I think it's a sign of the times I think it's a sign of the Trump era in politics And I'm probably going to see more of this uh, until we see less.
3: Yeah, uh, Tim, I think you're right about you know Donald Trump, and uh, it's when he had so many things come up and nothing was disqualifying. It's like the you know the death of shame. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, all of us probably have things in our past that we don't want to share with the world, and we and we know that if we have too many of those or whatever, and we run for pub- public office, they're going to come out. Um, But then I guess there's a lot of candidates that just think, eh, I don't care if anybody knows or I'll just try to get away with or or whatever it may be. Um, It's just... And I do think it starts with Donald Trump because it was such a high-profile thing no matter what he did. And he even speculated he could shoot somebody in the middle of Times Square. um, And it would be okay. And then people think that, that they can run irregardless. And it's just... It then hurts our democracy because we just don't have the raw product that we need to uh, run, you know, run the best government. And then people have faith in the government because then people start to say, "Oh, well, look at these, you know, people they got running." And then all these quality candidates and quality elected officials we have across the board get swept into this, and that's, you know, to me, unfair. Um, Catherine, do you think Donald Trump's a you know, part of this? Oh,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I think um you know, people see him, he you know, nobody thought he was going to win uh, at some points and uh he went on to win, so people are like, yeah, well, if he won, I should be able to win. Um I do I, I do like I do want to be a little cautious though because you know, just because someone made errors in their earlier life and have come come uh, out of them and are you know contributing members to society. We need to be careful not to you know. I mean, we're supposed to believe in rehabilitation, and if people have have you know paid their debt to society because of crimes or something, then I think that that they should be um, able to step up and serve their country if they're if they you know. Paid their dues, paid their you know done their time, whatever. So I just I I think we always need to be careful about clumping everybody into um, one kind of category. And also, I just want to call attention to something: just because someone is a nudist doesn't mean they're uh, unqualified to run as a congressional candidate. Their other his other behavior obviously does, but just being a nudist shouldn't disqualify someone. Well, it,
3: it was probably not the thing he wanted to lead on with his uh, direct well, mail. Maybe you say. don't want to
2: lead on um, it, but I don't think I don't think I don't I don't think it's fair to um I mean to some people that is a um, a legitimate um, uh, behavior that they do in the privacy of their nudist club or whatever and. There shouldn't be anything wrong with that. It's like religion or other practices that are none of our business. And we shouldn't judge people on those things, in my opinion. I don't
1: agree there. The voters in this country have a funny way of deciding what is and what is not their business. That's just the way it is. (laughs) It it really is.
3: And you think about a lot of jobs, a lot of public jobs, like if if someone were to go into a school and say they want to be a teacher, and it was oh yeah I'm a member of the you know nudist club, they probably wouldn't hire them. <laughs> well, shouldn't we hold our elected officials to higher standard than we do our government
2: employees?
3: Um, and so I, I do well, think it would be a tricky thing. I don't think, are, a, I don't think these thing.
2: bankers who stole, you know, stole millions of dollars and and uh, you know raided our banks should be serving in the um, in the administration, but nobody listens to me about no. that. And I don't oh, think that's just that's as because,
1: bad that's or worse the rich than being uh, run uh, new country. The rich and big business well, run the country, Catherine. That's why they get away with it. Right. They always have. Uh,
3: I think there's 300 million people in this country, and we could do better than a lot of these folks we've we found recently. Um, you know, it just... Um, it, it it's you, just we we you, are not getting our best and brightest at this point. You, and you we know need what I'm worried about, it.
1: You know what I'm worried about that the bar what? has been lowered to the point because of Trump that that just these people are coming out of the woodwork. There's a lot lot more of this than there used to be. Oh, there used to be some nut every once in a while. But man, I mean, our state legislatures are full of these types of people. Our Congress is full of them now. Uh, all kind of kooky candidates are running. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's just like they're coming from everywhere. And the only explanation I have for it is that this is the era of Donald Trump. Do y'all see any other explanation?
3: I think that's a big part of it, and maybe there'll be a um, repudiation of it in this election coming up, and we'll begin to have higher-quality candidates. And we do have plenty of fine candidates, and, I, and I'm talking about more of the personal story. Like, for instance, I don't agree with Greg Abbott's politics, but he does have an inspirational story overcoming you know, being disabled and stuff. I mean, and so it's, I'm looking more maybe towards that. And that was my not maybe not best way to segue us to Texas. Guys, we have been trying to talk about this Texas Senate race <laughs> for about three weeks now. Um because it is one of the more fascinating ones. It has a high profile incumbent Senator, Ted Cruz, who, you know, is one of the best known um senators running this year. And he's got a tough race in a state that's trending purple. And Beto O'Rourke, the uh, nominee, has raised a lot of money, is not afraid of going across the country to raise money, you know, social media, what have you. And in the state of Texas, one of the largest states with most counties of any state in the union, he has gone to every single county um, to visit, you know, every county and campaign anywhere, doesn't matter how Uh, Red or blue the district is He's tried to hit all these places Doesn't matter how sparsely populated Some of these places are either I'm sure he's not going to the smallest county ten times He's still visiting the bigger Places more Because they got more people obviously Um, But but it's shaping up to be an interesting Race which looks like At the current time Ted Cruz has a Small lead A a single digit lead I think the mode is probably about four points Um, Catherine do you find this Texas race as intriguing as I do?
2: I do. I think it's very interesting. You know, Beto, Beto O'Rourke has an interesting story, and he's, you know, um, he's his strategy is very um, different. Um, I just read a little piece about him today where he went into some county that was, you know, decidedly Republican and um, sort of talked. To- about how he didn't really ident- how he you know he's running as a Democrat but he thinks of himself first as an American then as a Texan and other um, labels don't aren't really important to him which I I think is a um, I mean I, he's decidedly a Democrat obviously but I think it's interesting that he's using that strategy to try to talk about the important issues that face our country and Texas in particular. And um, I, I think it is it is very interesting. It will be really interesting to watch um, as this goes on. And I think no matter whether he wins or not, I think that his um, approach is um, interesting and may, um, may carry forward. For-
3: Tim, we're seeing a lot of people running more, you know, trying to figure out where the more Democratic areas are, really pump that vote up. And I, I definitely agree. After, um, say, Labor Day, you need to narrow down and pump up your base. But early on, you know, sometimes I think you can still leave no stone unturned. Beto O'Rourke is definitely leaving no stone unturned. And it sounds like he may have been campaigning in these areas a little longer than the average um, candidate would. What do you think
1: about his campaign and candidacy? Well, he's visited every county in Texas already. Uh, The polls are, are tightening. Uh, I'm looking at the averages of all the polls here. Real clear politics has him up, Cruz up six and a half, 538 has him up 5.9, 270 to win has him up four. The average is like, you know, five, five and a half point. Charlie Cook moved the state from likely GOP to lean GOP. So there's a chance there just. Just remember one thing, though, guys, no public poll yet has shown O'Rourke actually ahead. I think it's going to be closer, a lot closer than races we've seen. Uh, Like you said, David, O'Rourke's raised a bunch of money, uh, and uh, most importantly, the Republicans face a fight. Uh, here in Texas, they they didn't expect that. They didn't want to spend any money in Texas. They're gonna to have to do it now, aren't they?
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Texas
1: is such an expensive state. Um, mm-hmm. The
3: change, in Catherine.
2: Yeah, I just think that's really. I like it when they have to spend money uh, in a state where they weren't expecting to, because that means yeah. they can't shift a bunch of money over to a state where they, uh, you know, where they. Another state absolutely.
1: like Georgia or wherever. Absolutely, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely.
3: Well, and I guess another reason I find the state fascinating is if you look and you're trying to build a Republican map, the first state you need is Texas, and the second second largest state that they can reliably depend on is been Georgia, and in the, each state, probably the one of the most fascinating governors races in Georgia. The most, fa- or one of the most fascinating races for the Senate is in Texas. I mean, you still got Florida that can always swing either way, which is a huge state as well, but um, that's kind of where the Republicans have to build their base, like we build on California, is Texas then Georgia. And if they start to lose those two states or those two states become Florida um, and can go either way, that complicates everything for the Republicans because it's not like mm-hmm. California – is going to move into the purple column anytime soon. Well, somebody that mm-hmm. follows politics all across the country, been on our show multiple times from Red Racing Horses. Welcome back, Jackson Dark.
0: Hello, Dan and crew. How y'all doing?
3: Yeah, good to be on. Um, well, Jackson, uh, we had a big election Tuesday, and uh, it was one that really shouldn't be in play like so many con- uh, special congressional elections we've seen. Uh, it's ones that was plus double digits for Republicans every time, yet the race was very, very close. I, I guess the margin was uh, one, one point something, and the final tally in the Columbus area, the columbus um, Why did that race, why was that race close, and maybe what does it tell us about the future?
0: Well, you got several factors, but the main one was turnout disparity. If you break everything down by county, uh, and I, I apologize, you may hear some strangeness because I'm walking along Poplar Avenue here in Memphis. But um, the the main dis- difference was turnout. If you look at the percentages in all the counties, you know you've got Franklin County, which is Columbus. Democrats did very well there, and they were supposed to. But what really boosted them was the turnout there in Franklin County. If you look at the rural counties, not, not the suburban one, not Delaware, but if you look at the rural counties, Republican, the Republican candidate actually overperformed Trump in his home county. And in the other rural counties, uh, that's Zanesville, uh, in the other rural counties, he hit or almost hit Trump numbers in terms of percentage. So the rural areas are holding fine in terms of percentage for us. The problem we had, turnout in the rural, is not that bad, just not as pumped up as it was in the city. And really pumped up turnout in the city. Now, of course, we overperformed somewhat, or sorry, underperformed somewhat in Delaware County, which is sort of outer suburban Columbus, but it actually was not nearly as bad of an underperformance as it was supposed to be. What really kept it that close was that, you know, every Democrat and their cousin in Columbus all went and voted. Mm -hmm. There were other factors. Yeah. You know, some moderates were angry, especially in the suburbs in Delaware County. But as I said, we actually held those numbers a lot better than we were supposed to, because Troy Balderson was a good candidate. So it was O'Connor, but it's a Republican district. So, so, you know, those swing voters presented with a good Democrat and a good Republican, enough of them still said, "Well, I may not like Trump, but I'll stick with the GOP." And that's that's what won it. If we had performed as badly in Delaware County as we have been in a lot of suburbs, O'Connor would have won.
3: So, uh, uh, kind of piggybacking onto that. Um, suburbs have always been A little more Republican Than the city um, And rural areas Weren't necessarily as Republican Why do you think suburbs Are trending more Democratic uh, Particularly you know The educated white voters in those areas Why is it trending that way And what does that mean for 538 districts
0: across the country Well <coughs> Suburbs You know, this trend actually started back in the early 90s when it used to be that not only were suburbs more Republican than the city, but that they were overwhelmingly more. If you think back to, you know, say, pre-Clinton, pre-Bill Clinton, um, the suburbs were the, the rock, the cornerstone of the Republican Party. And around about 92, when Clinton won, a bunch of suburban voters looked at the Republican Party and said, well, you know, the Cold War has been won. We got our taxes lowered like we wanted to. Okay, crime's still a problem, but those were two of our three pillars. Well, you know, a lot of us, we care about these social issues and not necessarily the way these Christian conservatives do. Maybe we're moderate on them. Maybe we're even left-leaning on them. But we'd stayed with the Republican Party for foreign policy, crime, and financial issues. Well, those are gone. Okay, well, we're just going to give the Republican Party a gold watch and thank it for its service, and we'll vote. <laughs> that's pretty much what happened in the early nineties. So you've had a trend since then of suburbs still mostly staying with GOP, but trending over time. And I think it's generational. I think Trump has had some non-generational effect on it. His style, especially turns off suburban women. The men are a little bit easier to keep in the Republican camp because remember, a lot of these suburban men are people who have started their own businesses or, you know, have worked in sort of a rough and tumble corporate setting where, Personalities like Trump are more well-known, and it's not as big of a problem. But a lot of women have – some have, but a lot of the ones that had were already Democrats anyway. Um, so, you know, cause, you know, among women, those who are sort of your suburban soccer mom were always tilted towards the GOP more, um, whereas the professional women generally went with the Democrats. Um, generationally, as the issue mix has simply shifted due to what the issues of the day are, You've had more and more going that way, and I think what Trump did was just accelerate it. I think this would have happened in another couple decades, you know, along with other changes. Um, but it got accelerated, and a lot of it happened early. Sometimes you get a candidate that's basically an ideological coalition accelerant, and Trump was. Yeah, well,
3: and and we've seen research, text era, you know, emerging Democratic majority, and some of these trends Which were going to happen. Never seemed to emerge if. <laughs> and, and, and Well, and it hasn't, but then now Donald Trump, like you said, has, is an accelerant um, And really those states, what are three of those states that were going to um, emerge for the Democrats? Arizona, Texas, and Georgia And all three of those in the last election were three of the few states that trend uh, more Democratic Not that I went Democratic yet, but they trended If he's an accelerant, uh, what does this do to the Republican Party?
0: Well, he is an accelerant, but think about this There's a flip side to that coin The flip side to that coin Is that you might get Better numbers, I still don't think the Texas moved a little left, but I still don't think you're going to Get any time seeing Georgia and Arizona maybe, be But the flip side To that coin is, look what happened in Wisconsin Look what happened in Michigan, look what happened in Pennsylvania uh, We're very much a 50-50 country And I think for the time being Trump accelerated the country more Against the Republican Party than he did But it all comes back into balance you know, It all comes back into balance eventually, and the fact that those rural numbers are holding kind of tells you something, tells you that short-term Democrats can still hold their margins in the rurals enough to win with better turnout, better performance in the suburbs, but long-term, they have lost some voters long-term even as they've picked up some voters. That's just how American politics tends to work.
3: Yeah, and, and I will agree with you. I don't think the rural areas may switch back as far as that county, but – as we know brain drain happens a lot all across america a lot of those um folks in rural areas will move from rural areas to suburban or urban areas over time through right, generations but, but
0: actually and then those are going to be voters ones. that
3: move and then the and then they're going to become more liberal and the and the republicans are going to lose them they're just they just may live in a different zip code um
0: right but they'll well, live in a zip code that's like, already 80% democratic so it doesn't really But then on the, the, level. the
3: statewide elections like, let's say they move from Western Pennsylvania to Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, um, in the statewide election, it won't matter which one they live in. It, it, they'll lose them there. And so that'll matter there. Well, let me kind of go to another state completely that was probably the second most, or in some ways, maybe the most interesting election. And that was the GOP primary for Kansas governor. I, I don't even think that thing's still been decided. And it really, you know, cut to the core of. Um, what the Republican Party looks like, he had a more, um, I won't say centrist, but a more traditional Republican candidate versus Chris Kovac, who is kind of the, um, intellectual inspiration for some of Donald Trump's immigration policy. Um, you know, he can speak about it a different way than Donald Trump can, um, What is this – well, first, I mean, I'll let you make your prediction about who actually wins the uh, recount or what have you. And if it is Chris Kovacs, what does that um, do to the Republican Party, um, both in Kansas and around the country, if this guy becomes a national face of the party?
2: Well,
0: I mean, you sort of got the Republican legislative principle working on a bigger scale there. I mean, any Republican that says things that are somewhat controversial is going to get blasted out with a lot of, you know, a lot of Sturm and Drang, and that pretty much happens a couple times to us every cycle. I mean, you know, we do the same thing with y'all and Maxine Waters. We just don't have as big of a megaphone. Um, so, I mean, I think it's more likely than not that he will win the recount. Um, Collier did pick up several more votes. He did narrow it down. I think it leads 91 right now for Kobach. Um, I, I think in the end especially because a lot of the bigger counties are actually going to come back to the side that eventually, when they do the recount, he's going to win razor thin. Can't be sure of that. It's that close. But as far as how much it matters for the national level, he'll say some things. It'll add some fodder for for the national media for a few days, maybe piss off a few extra people. But, you know, it, it's not like it's women's issues or something. That's what, That's the one that really – really kills us whenever someone says something stupid on that. Uh, immigration, most of the people that, you know, really care about immigration one way or the other already know how they're voting. When it comes to, you know, other things, um, you know, Me Too movement kind of stuff, that's where that's where we get really hurt. Because despite the gender gap in our favor with men, it's very much against us with women, and we still need a lot of women to win. Yeah.
3: Well, and I'll say this. I don't think... Chris Kovacs is going to say something stupid He's not like uh, Todd Akin, he says stuff that's kind of Mean-spirited, it's like intellectual Mean-spiritedness Intellectual hate thought almost The way he uh, approaches The immigration issue, now he he Puts it in different terms to where I guess it's a little more couched But um, he's the thought behind this So I, I definitely think it's something That the Republican Party will have to look at On a national level if they want to Expand their base Uh, In other demographic areas At some point Um, Well I'm going to go ahead and pass it To Catherine and then Tim for their questions Catherine
2: Tim's going first (laughs) Because I'm not quite ready yet
1: Okay (laughs) Um,
2: At at present On your
1: page You have no senate seats Projected to uh, flip control But you have numerous Toss up seats So based on what you are seeing presently, which Democratic-held seat would be most likely to flip, and why? North Dakota. Um, North Dakota, well, first of all, we have two
0: public non-internal polls showing Kramer ahead of Heitkamp.
1: That's one. Mm -hmm.
0: Two, Heitkamp, who is very impressive and does a lot of local work. I mean she even did an interview with Breitbart the other day. Um, mm-hmm. Very impressive Senator um, But she only won by 3,000 votes last time Now that's a fair amount of votes in North Dakota But mm-hmm. it's still not that big of a margin And you got to remember This is an over 60% Trump state And it was always Going to be a difficult re-election no matter what I think she mm-hmm. can still do it But
1: mm-hmm.
0: Kramer's not easy to box You know He works harder than Rick Berg did And he's not easy to box into one little corner And you know, easy to sort of, uh, uh, how would I put it, uh, you know, sort of culturally meme in North Dakota to the point that you can, uh, you know, make him sort of a an unacceptable choice. I think High mm-hmm. still going to do very well, but I I think at this point she loses narrowly.
1: Okay, well now I want to jump over to uh, the gubernatorial races now. In uh, looking at your uh, projections there. It's very obvious that you think that Governor uh, Roner is uh, in deep trouble. He's gone. Is he beaten? And, and if so, what happened to cause it? Well, there's a couple things. And I,
0: I really think – I mean, you know, we always have to say absent a live boy, dead girl scenario, right, with mm-hmm. Pritzker, but I don't think that's going right. to happen. You know, in a less blue state and maybe a swingy to slightly blue state, he could still win because Pritzker – takes away his, his background, takes away a lot of the attacks on Rauner Pritzker is also a very rich guy, you know, also you know, not, not just rich, but a blue blood, you know, but has some interesting business practices. But on the other hand, you know, first of all, you got the wrong year. Second, mm-hmm. Ronna really pissed off his base very badly. And that's not the main thing you need to worry about when you're, you know, running as a Republican in Illinois, but it, it does matter. He he really, Really made. There's two things that the Republican base is extremely firm on, and that is socially, and that is guns and abortion. You can make basically anything else. You, you you can get away with any other kind of heresies on stuff like that. But you can even say things on those two issues, you know. Like, but if you sign something that is liberal on guns or abortion, that the Democrats put up, Phil Scott in Vermont's having this problem right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It's kind of the only real, the real quote unquote betrayals that the base really sees and really, really latches onto. And so I think there's going to be a lot of people downstate that just blank the ballot. That's the first mm-hmm. problem. Second problem is, mm-hmm. you know, he's been fighting with the legislature for years, and, you know, all right, fighting with the legislature isn't always unpopular in Illinois. It's often very popular. But it's gotten to the point that the state has realized pretty much that the governor and the state house, at least, are never going to be able to make a deal that the Illinois Supreme Court rules as legal for the budget because, mm-hmm. the, because you all know what happened in the state Supreme Court there. Anyway, so you have this problem where he's being hit from all sides. The moderates who want to see him make a deal, well, he hasn't been able to make a deal. And the Republicans who should be you know, getting right behind him, uh, a small but significant chunk of them, because remember he needs every single bit he can get, have just decided. Look, I'll vote for all the other Republicans, but I'm going to skip the ballot on this one, or I'm going to vote third party because you know Rounder is just beyond the you know no point in having him, right? If he doesn't block the things I really care about. Wow.
1: Okay, one
0: final. question That's not question my opinion for but you.
1: Yeah, one final question for you, and and uh, I, I'm not I'm not sure you can actually put your finger on this one. I'm really having trouble putting my finger on it. Uh, as we know, a large number of uh, candidates backed by uh, the president have fared well in primaries this year. Do we have any way of knowing yet how those same candidates might fare in the general election when there's a different target audience? Um,
0: I think it's really going to be candidate by candidate. I think the reason he's had so many successes and who he's backed in the primaries, is there's a few he's backed sort of out of obscurity, but mostly when he's endorsed, um, he's mostly done it from, okay, maybe we have a few candidates here that are doing well, but I'm going to pick someone who's already doing well, may even be leading, and I'm going to endorse them to cement it up. Basically, they're being very Mm -hmm. careful with their targets so as not to lose too many. Now, there are a few that he has elevated from sort of obscurity and helped them win, but usually it was at a flexion point where they were already rising from obscurity. Basically, the, basically, the White House is making the record look really good by endorsing people who already had a really good chance of winning. Oh, there's been a few times. <laughs> there's been a few. There's been a few times where I think they saved our butts a little bit, actually. Um, uh-huh. But in terms of, in, in terms of that, I think it'll be a very mixed bag because it'll be different. He's endorsed tons of different kinds of candidates. Some of them have uh-huh. been very, have seemed very much in his vein, and some of them really haven't. He's used it very Uh he and the White House have used it very strategically to make themselves look good. And in a few cases to, again, save our butts in a few primaries where the where the margin in certain, you know, certain counties, certain very Trumpy areas matters. But I don't Mm -hmm. think it really is going to cause a pattern. I don't think you're going to see. I think you're going to see some of the ones he picked wins. I think you're going to see some of the ones he picked loses not really going to be much one way or the other.
1: All right. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you for that. And
2: Catherine, are you ready? I'm ready now. Thank you. Okay. Hey, Jackson. Nice to have you. I I love hearing that you're Thanks. walking down Poplar Street in Memphis. You know, I'm a big fan of Memphis. Yep. Um, Good to be back. I wanted to ask you about Chris Collins and the and the state of that um, campaign or that election and uh, what you think is going to happen. How's it going to shake out?
0: Well, let's see. If the election were held today, I'm pretty sure Collins would lose. Oh, we'd almost instantly get it back <laughs> next time it was up for election. I mean, it's the most Republican seat in New York. But, you know, even when y'all won it briefly with Kathy Hochul, you know, and then Collins came along, you don't want to be able to hold it. But um, there is one way Republicans can still get him out of there, which is if someone nominates him for a judgeship before, I believe it's September 5th. Um, basically, that's you can get someone off the ballot in New York by nominating them for something Um, even just in office like a a party can do it themselves. And usually this is New York in local New York politics. They like to play games with this. Uh, A lot of the fusion voting little third parties will put up someone who isn't the real intended candidate. And then they will uh, hold that, find a candidate for one of the major parties they like, take that placeholder name, nominate them for a judgeship. They'll never win and then replace the name on the ballot with the candidate they actually prefer. They just weren't sure yet. Uh, it's, a, it's a time, oh. it's a time, uh, it's a device to get more time. So the problem is, of course, for us, is that Collins is refusing to move, right? So you sort of have to have the consent of the person being nominated. And <laughs> right now, right now we don't have it because he is delusional and thinks he can get around it. He can't. <laughs> He was arrested in broad daylight. Um, so he did. Yeah. And, and was recorded. It you know,
2: I mean, it's a pretty good case against him
0: as well. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's been a case against him for a while. I, I'm surprised he wasn't arrested eight months ago. Yeah, well,
2: sometimes these things move slowly, right?
0: Um, yeah, that's so where the, the timing is
2: unusually convenient. <laughs> what are the other races that you think are the most interesting uh, in any, in any, in any uh, district or um, house? What, what, what are you looking at and um, either puzzled by or intrigued by?
0: Well, let's see. Um, Another one in New York for a second, that just flared up the other day. I don't know if y'all remember uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, Congressman from the Mm -hmm. Hudson Valley. Um, You know, he's running for New York AG. well, the New York state primaries due to a court ruling are at a different time than the federal primaries. So if he wins that primary, well, the party has to replace him with someone on the ballot, but if he doesn't win that primary, he can just go on and run and win. Well, that would normally be great because he's a great performer for y'all. He's, he's very, it's a, it's a, it's a barely Trump voting district, but, but he does very well there. Um, (laughs) But the other day he opened, he openly used curse words to insult Trump voters on camera. And so if he doesn't win that New York AG primary, you could have a blue wave sweep the country and he could still lose. Um, it, was, it was a very uh, sort of all-in statement. Like, he's all-in on winning that AG primary. Uh, that was one. Yikes. Um, like, I mean, he using uh, – I can't even remember the curse words. It was, it was multiple. Uh, uh, so that's one. Another one is, um, I think – I think one race um, that's sort of moving very much in y'all's direction that's kind of flown a bit under the radar. Earlier in the cycle, um, there was a real hope for Republicans that we could take back New Hampshire 1, um, the one that kept going back and forth and back and forth for years. And it was a good target, but the environment just moved against us, yet I still see a bunch of people having it as a toss-up rating. New Hampshire's voters are very swingy. They're just not even though it's even though it's R plus a little bit, you know, Trump won it. I don't think he didn't win it by that much, and people, a lot of people, still have it as a toss up, and I, I really don't think it's going to be. I think it's easily lean Democratic at this point, not because of any failing of our candidates, just because of the overall cycle. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Larry Hogan is holding up very well in Maryland. A poll just came out uh, for governor re-election. A poll just came out for him. Of course, he could still always lose because it's Maryland, but. Ben Jealous was maybe the worst <laughs> candidate possible <laughs> for the Democrats to nominate. And what do you know? They nominated him. Uh, so that one's fun. Uh, I think people are overestimating Peter Roskam, the Republican congressman from the Chicago era. I think people are overestimating how safe he is. Uh, he's not. Uh, if this thing hits the, – if the blue wave hits the suburbs, he's gone, though. Uh, we might get it back for a while. It was actually designed as a Republican boat sink, but – by the Democrats a while back but You know I I think He is very impressive he does work the district Very well but I think people are Really underestimating how easily he could fall to the Democrats
2: Okay great that's really helpful I'm going to send it back to David Yeah just a real quick
3: follow up On that New York race. do you really Think I mean I know if he Insulted anybody that voted for Trump I mean that's too broad a brush but if he Used profanity uh, Well that's not classy but if he had negative comments towards followers of Q or the people that were yelling and shooting birds and threatening Jim Acosta, if he picked a subsection of Trump voters, couldn't he withstand that pretty easy?
0: He could, but he didn't do that. He he just said Trump yeah. voters in general were, I believe it was, uh, I don't want to curse on air, but effing idiots. Yeah. He just said yeah. Trump voters in so, general. So I mean, if he would have. So.
3: If he was I mean, with a much look, narrower he brush, he
0: if he, if he, maybe. I think you're right. But if he wasn't nominated for if he isn't nominated for New York AG, he still might survive. I mean a blue wave might carry him. I think there will be some kind of wave. We just don't know how how high it's gonna be um, at this point. But um, those those are the kind of things I mean, look same kind of thing, except for past statements and actions has happened with Scott Wallace, Philadelphia where that's a seat that Democrats should be relatively easily able to take. And I think a lot of suburban seats will fall pretty easily in the Democratic column. But Wallace really screwed up because, well, I mean, he screwed up years ago. You know, it's a district with a decently sized Jewish population. It's a swing district. And, you know, he he, not only did he donate seven million dollars to a boycott, divest, uh, sanctioned nonprofit, but, you know, he also helped the nonprofit get money that advocates for population control. Which you know that district is heavily Irish and Catholic. Um, You know that's the kind of stuff that you know that gets talked about on Sundays. Is you know you know beware beware the coming of the devil in Catholic churches. So you know individual candidates will always screw up and some people will overperform. But I mean I think in general the Democrats are in in a good space. But they're also starting to make some comments that you know, are rivaling the kinds of things that some stupid Republicans said a few years ago and lost us some possible wins when we swept things in 2010 and 2014. There's some good stuff we lost, because, especially especially 2012 in those Senate races, because people just said stupid things. And that's the flip side of having a lot of really good energy on your side, right? Uh, if you've got a lot of good energy on your side, it's great. Your voters are more motivated, all that. But you'll also end up leaving some races on the table because some people representing you end up saying stupid stuff. Then. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, Jackson, thanks for being on, and I want to give you a chance. uh, If people want to read you or follow you on Twitter or what have you, what are some uh, ways they can do that?
0: Well, let's see. You can read me when I do roundups at Red Racing Horses at RRHelections.com. don't really have a Twitter or a lot of that because I try to stay off social media for the most part. I run campaigns, so I kind of have to stay incognito. But you can read what I do there. I will occasionally – Uh, Publish some other things. Also, I have been on television several times here locally, so if anyone listening is in the Memphis area, I'm on Informed Sources on the local CBS station, News Channel 3, uh, with decent regularity.
3: All right, that's great to hear. And we may hit you up again and get some Tennessee information next time you come on. All right. Well,
0: great to talk with you all. Sounds good. Thank Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right,
3: Jason. Uh, Jackson Dar of Red Racing Horses. Well, guys, I think we got time for one more topic. And uh, the big topic on particularly Meet the Press was Omarosa. She's coming out with a book. She would already been on Celebrity Big Brother. Um, of course, when she left the White House, uh, it made news, and more keeps being made. Um, obviously, no one's winning to me in this situation. Uh, the White House is certainly not going to look good. But – Omarosa is probably not the most Likeable figure there is uh, Back from when she originally Came onto the scene with Donald Trump on The First Apprentice did not watch That season but I've heard That um, she uh, You know didn't necessarily make the best impression At that time Um, But she did have a audio That is not (laughs) Going to be good for the uh, chief of staff John Kelly he in a very Low key manner threatened Her reputation um it was almost so low-key I wouldn't – I had to, like, listen to the – really get the analysis and go, oh, yeah, that was a threat. It was just so deadpan. Um, and then um, the fact that it was in the Situation Room and a recording device, it just shows how little control there is in the White House. So there's so many negative things to this whole uh, scene. Uh, Catherine, what's your take on it all?
2: Well, you know, <laughs> I don't have a lot of sympathy for, for Omarosa. I mean she agreed to work for the man so like you know you lose with me you lost all your credibility then and then to leave and come out with these you know kind of I mean this you know tape is is damning I mean it it is a threat and and that's unfortunate but I don't I don't I think she's all about uh media and attention And she'll just keep doing this as long as she feels like she's not getting the proper media attention that she feels she should. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for her.
3: Yeah, I I do think it's pretty clear, Tim, that Omarosa is in the business of Omarosa before the Republicans, before Donald Trump, before Democrats when she was a Democratic consultant when she first was on his show. Um,
1: What's your thoughts well, I mean, Unhinged is the name of the book. That says, that says a lot about <laughs> everybody we're talking about here that's involved in this. Uh, it, it's, it's, She does have the distinction of being the first, you know, staffer to uh, publish a tell-all book. Uh, there's a lot of accusations in there. Some of them are just unbelievable to me, and some of them are, are very believable, that the president's uh, mental capacity, for instance, is, is slipping. That That's very believable to me. But that he wanted to give office on his own book, you know, the art of the deal, I find that really difficult to believe right there. <laughs> um, Trump called her a lowlife. Uh, uh, Of course uh, He he probably should have Thought about that Because he's had this quote low life Hanging around him uh, For over a decade Now if she was such a low life Why was she in his inner circle Of course Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, Called her Basically a liar But that's like the pot calling the kettle black Now you know the, The thing that Really was fascinating, and I heard this this morning on on you know um, Meet the Press, where she decided to start her book tour um, or promoting her book, and she actually taped General Kelly firing her. Secretly, she taped the White House chief of staff, and claims she has multiple other tapes. Secret tapes now from inside the White House. Man, where is their security at when that's going on? When White House staffers are taping other White— This ain't the president with his recording system in the Oval Office like Nixon. No, this is White House staffers, the White House chief of staff, in the act of firing them. I mean, uh they they
2: they might want to
1: go back and uh, really look at their security uh, well, Matt, here. Was and
2: that, wasn't that asked before they banned cell phones from the West Wing?
1: Yeah, they oh, was before. Got I think there, it, Catherine. I
2: think it was. I think it, I think Catherine's right. That was before because
3: they have because I think the Twitter accounts and all the media um, reports that got out. They um, wanted to try to you know tighten that in. I think the problem is yeah. that the guy that has the Twitter on the toilet is the guy they got to tighten in the most, and then there won't be enough report. <laughs> now, one Not now on one uh, thing that I do find problematic <laughs> is you had Michael Wolff's book Fire and Fury, which had you know much more credibility in this book because this book the media has actually shown where she's contradicted the book and on you know, an interviews mm-hmm. since then yeah. and things she's claimed. And then, so you got her book, which people are ripping apart. So there may be a lot of truths. I'm sure the, the, the audio was the audio. I mean it was what it was. But then Bob Woodruff's going to come out with a book. I'm sure it's going to be far more credible than Omarosa's book, maybe more credible than Fire and Fury. So then Trump's defenders can wrap the three books together and go, oh, look at all these lies they tell about the president. Never bring up instances of Woodruff's book. Probably bring up incredibly few about Wolfe's book, but then just bring them all from Omarosa's book where the contradictions were, and then just wrap all three together and get the whole thing dismissed. Do you think that could
2: happen, Catherine? No, I don't. <clears throat> I don't think very many people will clump uh, those three writers together. Well, I mean, I mean I'm
3: talking about the Trump's Republican people mine, and the, but the I don't talking think, like, head we're kind will. of.
2: Yeah, oh, okay. I'm talking about the,
3: the when the Talking Heads get on and have to, def, you know, defend things and they kind of mitigate things. That's where I'm talking about. Not not necessarily you or I that can look at each work as a separate work. Um, yeah,
2: I suppose they might try to do that, but I just can't imagine that. You know, you know I just can't imagine that it would before, be. It might be successful with his with his support with his base, but. His base is not listening to anything anyway, and can they read? That's
3: right. right. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, you can't run for upstate uh, Congress in New
1: York. Uh, Tim? (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Oh, Look, uh, I mean, if Bob Woodward's coming out with a book about this, I mean, this is Bob Woodward. This this is the guy that wrote all the presidents' men, the Pulitzer Prize winner. I I I, I gotta agree with Catherine. I don't I don't see how they can lump him in with, with with anyone. I mean, his track record speaks for itself. And 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 you know, of course, it's true that his base is not going to believe anything, but the average American is going to uh, view Bob Woodward. With credibility, they, uh, unless they've just totally lost their collective minds. I know I'll certainly always view him that way, even if he says things uh, about people on my side of the aisle that I don't like, because I believe the man is credible. Uh, I look forward to reading his book uh, on the Trump yeah. White House. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think it book, will be important. I, I, I I don't I don't think I, I read Fire and Fury, but I don't believe I'm gonna read this unhinged. Uh like y'all have been saying, too much of it is questionable. I mean just just crazy stuff. Does anyone really believe that General Kelly called her down to the situation room to fire for her? I mean, no, you don't do that. You just get 'em in the in in your office and you say, you know, it's been great that you work with us, but you're out by Oh, I would
3: I would believe his office. I would believe whatever her office is, and I'd believe the front yeah. doormat because she'd want it close to the yeah. door because the report were the that she had to physically escort yeah. her out <laughs> when she got fired. I, you know, that that old song that I like to quote. I'm gonna uh, change the lyrics. There ain't no good guys. There are lots of bad guys, and I just don't know what to think.
1: Um, it's well, look, just
3: uh, kind of a mess Of yeah, these but, folks well, how guys, She I,
1: always I, sold herself And she's always Sold herself as the villain The bad person in the reality TV stuff She's always yeah. been the bad girl The villain well, well, Is and that what
3: she is now I, And I guess she can be the bad guy To Trump's base and that still Makes her the bad guy to Somewhere in the neighborhood of forty percent of the population. I mean, um, it was just a—it's just a crazy mess. Um, and then she's kind of always seemed like she is one of the reality people. I mean, be it yeah. the first show she was on, Celebrity Big Brother. If she ended up on the Real Housewives, then she may not be married. But you know, whatever city. I mean, these the E Entertainment type shows she seems like one of those figures much more than she seems like a serious political figure. I mean, this is not mm. Donna Brazile. This is not um, Valerie Jarrett. <laughs> this is uh, no. not James no. Carr <laughs> to keep moving around the board. No. Uh, not Matthew Dowd. I mean, this is somebody that's in the business for themselves, not their candidate. Um, and so she set for a Way to monetize it and get herself some more attention. Um, even though some mm. of the things in the Book may be may have some truths. The the outlandish things like taking the oath of office on the art of the deal. Um, I agree with you, mm-hmm. and That's pretty hard to believe. Even though I'm, you know, I'm kind of open almost to believe in any crazy thing. But yeah, you you bridged too far there um, mm-hmm. with that one. Well, guys, uh, good show tonight. Covered some topics. Got us a good guest in that has a knowledge of a lot of states. Until next week. Been the Cuzzy, Vine.
2: Good night, y'all.
1: Good night,
3: guys.
1: of justice.